I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Our Shelves, a podcast where writers from the legendary feminist publishing house Virago talk about their cultural worlds. We'll be diving into these writers' bookshelves, record collections, and recollections to discover what inspires them. I'm Lucy Scholes, and my guest today is Arenison Okoji. Arenison's debut novel, Butterfly Fish, won the Betty Trask Award and was shortlisted for the Edinburgh International First Book Award. Her second book, the short story collection Speak Gigantula, was shortlisted for the Edgehill Short Story Prize, the Jalloc Prize, the Saboteur Awards, and nominated for a Shirley Jackson Award. Last year, she published her second short story collection, Nudibranch. Welcome to our shelves, Renison. It's really wonderful to have you here today. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Fantastic. I think I'm speaking to you on what's already been quite a busy week um, because we're chatting today only a few days after your amazing short story, Grace Jones, which appears in Nudibranch, won the AKO Kane Prize for African Writing. So first of all, I want to congratulate you for that. Um, it's an incredible prize to have won. Um, and obviously, this isn't the first award that you've won for your work. But I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what this particular prize means to you right now at this point in your career. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, I'm still in a daze, actually, that I've won this. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it was such a fantastic privilege to be shortlisted um, because it's so um, globally recognised, especially being a writer of African descent and having worked really hard at the craft for years and the craft of short stories yeah. in particular. So to to really um, receive something like this at this stage in my career, at this juncture, is just hugely encouraging. It's really funny because a couple of weeks ago I was saying to my agent, oh God, I really just need to G myself up again for the next phase of writing. Because <laughs> I, I felt quite I felt quite exhausted, you know. Um you just yeah. feel like you're sort of plugging away plugging away and you don't know if you know it's gonna reach a wider audience, especially the sort of writing that I do, which is um subversive experimental fiction. So this happening is just amazing and it, it means that my work reaches a wider audience. So I'm really chuffed about it. Yeah, no, it's a wonderful prize to have been um, to be awarded and, and very much deserving for what's a brilliant short story. I'm also quite interested. I mean, I, I suspect you've been asked this question before, but it's a slightly different move to start with a novel and then move into two collections of short stories. Um, and I'm just wondering if there was anything in particular that led you to sort of 
you know, approach the uh, the forms this way round. You know, do you find that one speaks to you at a certain point and, and you sort of have to write those or or is this all, is, it, is it something more um, sort of thought through in advance? Well, firstly, thank you um, for the compliment regarding the story. I really appreciate that. Um, it just all purely happened accidentally, really. Uh, I would I was working on the novel for for a while and I'd written a draft on it and I just was exhausted by it by that point and <laughs> I needed to take a step away from it because, you know, working on a novel is a little bit like being on a tiny boat at sea and you're just sort of figuring your way towards the land and how you're going to get to shore. And it's, you know, it's, it's quite hard. Uh, so keeping up that momentum was difficult. So by the end of the first draft, I thought, God, I just need a break from this. And I'd had a collection of short stories by Dennis Johnson, an American writer for seven years. And I'd had it, but had never read it. So mm. I just randomly decided, oh, let me just pick up these short stories and read them, you know, finally. And they blew me away. I love that collection so much. I credit it with the reason why I started writing short stories because it was so powerful. And I didn't know that short stories could, you know, create that sort of emotional investment in the reader uh, because it was a series of interconnected stories about a drug addict. But what he did so beautifully, it was completely non-judgmental and he made you care about this character and he brought you into his world so empathetically and I just loved it so I was really inspired to start writing short stories myself so I so I did and then I got the bug for it because I wrote a couple and I really enjoyed (laughs) it but I think also I just loved that they there was an ending with them you know because with the novel you just you're sort of working on and on for ages and it feels like it will never end but with short stories you can explore these ideas I think fairly quickly depending on how how swiftly you write and I mean I'm quite a Mm. feverish short story writer so once I get an idea I'm just really excited to get it on the page and and it's a process of investigation for me which I really like I never fully no, I never go to the page fully knowing exactly what's going to happen or fully planning out specifically, you know, structure wise, this is going to happen. And this is going to, I leave it slightly open and slightly fluid because I find that it's really exciting for me in that way. So the yeah. short form really, I think, helped me develop my voice um, in terms of being able to experiment with form. I credit the short form with doing that. So by the time I'd written, you know, um, pretty much most of the short short stories in Speak Gigantula, I felt confident to go back to the novel. And, you know, rather than being intimidated by the novel process, what I did was psychologically trick myself <laughs> and see each <laughs> chapter as kind of like a short story. <laughs> ah, and that was how like I got it. around it. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I love both forms, really, I have to say. I think they yeah. both... They do different things, but um, I get a lot out of each of them. But I find the short form really exciting. And I love the scope of the novel for really, you know, creating uh, like a world, you know. So, yeah, I get get a lot out of both forms, yeah. I'm interested, were you... You know, before you read that particular collection that was so influential on you, were you were you not a great reader of short stories before that? Was it not a form that, that spoke to you? I'd never read short stories before that. I had always been curious. Really? I was somebody who just, yes, it's really interesting. And now I can't stop writing them. Um, <laughs> I had always just read I think that is fascinating. 
<laughs> it is, isn't it? Th- it's like coming yeah. to something later on and then suddenly you think, God, where have I been that I wasn't aware of the sort of wonder and power of short stories? Um, and it's interesting to me as well that I had that collection for years. Uh, and every now and again, I'd look at it up on my shelf and go, ah, will I read that? Nah, I'll just read a novel instead. <laughs> And then came to it one day, just really open, and it and it just opened up. It blew me away, and it it just opened up a different space in my brain. That's a brilliant way of putting it. Actually, that idea about these two different different ways of thinking, different brain spaces. Yeah. Um, but I think sometimes I don't know short stories. I mean, I say I'm 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 sort of fascinated because you write such brilliant short stories. The idea that you hadn't read any for such a long time, but I suppose I can also completely see where you're coming from because I remember that I didn't read short stories for many years. I think because I'd read I'd read some quite bad ones, and I just thought they were. I, I my impression of them was that they were just you know a, sort of slightly lacking novels. Like why would I read a short story if I could read a novel, which was a kind of whole world? And then I even right, I can't I haven't right. got a good story like you, but I sort of remember reading you know the first few short stories that were really good, and then I sort of realised oh this is actually how it's done and like you that you realize that they're a whole different genre and they're a whole different way of thinking and a whole different way of using narrative and writing and, and doing all these fascinating things with them um so I mean from, from now on so you're working on a second novel now is that right still I am which I'm terrified about really but please okay. don't mention okay. to the publisher Charmaine <laughs> <laughs> um, because you know each each book is something entirely different and you know each time you feel like you're starting anew again in terms of the craft even though you've had this experience of writing it's a completely different animal you know how am I going to approach this and how am I going to shape these characters and how am I going to make this world believable but also really really interesting so um yeah the process of doing that again has been fascinating Uh, and what the short story does for me in terms of like helping with the novel is that every now and again when I feel like you know the novel form is becoming difficult I'll I'll write a short story and that just reinvigorates me to go back to the novel so uh, I'm kind of like reapplying what I learned the first time round because it it worked you know it helped me and I would encourage people to do that I think when you when you write short stories they're so invigorating and because you're exploring multiple ideas it it gives you a certain confidence Um, and I remember Mm -hmm. reading after Dennis Johnson actually I remember reading Raymond Carver's collection um, and I thought like he was just a beautiful craftsman I mean not a word wasted Um, you know very different short story writer to myself Um, but I love that there were so many different styles of, of writing short stories you know and it's just so exciting similarly I love Miranda July's work because her stories are just so strange and beguiling um but also Mm. so funny uh you know so they're just so many different styles within the spectrum of short story writing so going back to the novel I always feel like quite excited that I've learned all these different things that I can kind of apply um while like working within that form as well so they feed into each other as well I think Mm. I also imagine that the type of stories that you write are particularly sort of invigorating to to immerse yourself in. I mean, they are as a reader, so I can only imagine as a writer it's sort of similar because all the not all the stories in, in Niederbrand um, blend the sort of mundane and the everyday with elements of the fantastical and the supernatural. You know, you've got ghosts, time travel, mythical monsters, goddesses and scientific advances that have, you know, have yet to be discovered. There's such a rich and exciting texture to each of them. Um, and I feel like I'd love to know a 
little bit before we talk, um, you know, quite specifically about what you're reading, listening to and thinking about right now. More broadly, I'd love to hear a little bit about the sort of influences behind your work, whether that is other writers um, or a particular literary style or way with language or other art forms even. Yeah, no, great question. Um, I think it's a mixture of everything. I I read so widely. Um, I read Mm. different genres because I'm really not a book snob. Um, People would be surprised by what I've read in the past, you know, um, everything from crime fiction to literary fiction to sci-fi. And I also love film and theatre because I love what film and theatre does in terms of telling a story and condensing it really beautifully because you have to hold the audience's attention. Um, so I love yes. what they do and I draw from that as well, just sort of watching the tricks that, you know, these kind of storytellers use to to bring a story to life. Um, I, I'm also hugely influenced by poetry um, as, a, as a practice because, again, you're condensing something and it has to capture the, the reader's imagination. So I would read poetry when I first started writing a lot. I would read poetry in the morning, um, again, to sort of just give me that sense of freedom. And then I would go to the page really, really excited. So it, it creates this kind of kaleidoscopic texture or aesthetic mm. um, within my writing, like all these different influences. Uh, I also love going to museums and seeing like strange exhibitions by women artists. <laughs> because yeah. the imagery in that is just incredible. Sometimes, you know, I'll go to an ex- exhibition and an image will just stay with me. And I'll think, God, I, I wonder what it would be like to create a world around that image or a context around it. So um, I'm very influenced by lots of different mediums. And I think that that's helped shape me in becoming the sort of writer that I am. Just storytelling in different in different ways is really exciting to me. Yes. And I love the fact that you're mentioning so many sort of visual elements. I think of you as quite a visual writer, particularly because I think, you know, there's a vibrancy to the images that you create on the page. There's sort of a colour um, and there's and I, I feel like you're short stories more than some others for me at least when I read them I get very clear images of of particular moments um almost like tableaus from the stories and I I love writing that can do that it's such a it's such a rare thing to be able to do I think and and you pull it off exceptionally well Um, well let's get a bit more specific and talk uh particularly about I think you're going to tell me about three books in particular that are currently on your bedside table um does that mean they're waiting to be read or are you reading them already how does that work well I've read I've read them well two of them I've read and one of them I'm currently working my way through um but they are all different they're all beautiful beautiful books Uh, I'm going to start with Shame on Me by Tessa McWatts uh, mm. which is one that I'm currently reading. And it's really a, a memoir, an exploration of race and belonging. So Tessa is a fascinating writer because she's born in Guyana, moved to Canada when she was younger, um, partly Amerindian, partly Chinese, partly black, partly white. So has all these interesting um, aspects to her her ancestry so she really explores all of that um, in this memoir and this idea of I don't know having aspects of the oppressor and the oppressed and what it's like to carry that within a body Um, and she talks about a very specific moment earlier in the book when she's in a classroom and people kind of ask her like where are you actually from? You know, that question that people do ask you if you're mm. a person of colour. Um, 
and the feeling of of shame that brought in her and just kind of what that felt like and what that meant and how that sort of haunted her throughout her life. Um, so I'm currently reading it. The writing is stunning. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful meditation on race, but not just that. I feel like it's, it's just a profound study of the human experience. Um, mm. And I'm really, really enjoying it. it. It's fascinating. So I'm currently reading that at the moment. I think that's a great book. I read that quite recently and I was um, one of the things I like quite liked about it. And I wonder if you're quite intrigued by as well is that I love the way that she sort of um, unspooled the stories that were told by her family members mm-hmm. about their sort of inheritance as well. So she's talking about genetics, but she's also talking about the sort of stories that, that hold families together. Um, and I found that element of it particularly fascinating. Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely intriguing, you know, aspects of her grandfather's lives, her father's life, her mother's life, and just interweaving those stories together. I'm sort of in awe in terms of how she's done that. Um, you know, what do you include and what do you leave out? You know, what's yeah. important history to you and what isn't? Because it's all fascinating, isn't it? You know, when you go back yeah. into your family's history. So uh, I really admire the way she's been able to to do that and weave that in so beautifully it's I think it's it's an astonishing book um and I think it does something slightly different to certain other books on race um as well that Mm. I've read it's it's really it has a very unique um aesthetic to it so I'm really really enjoying reading it at the moment and uh what are the other two books that you're going to tell me about yeah so the second book is Uh, Infinite Gradations by Anne Michaels. Anne is a poet um, and novelist, but this is like a book of poetry um, where she looks at the lives of other artists. So writers like Paul Celan, Jack Chambers, Eva Hess. um, And she really explores like their experiences and asking urgent questions around artistic expression uh, and just like the nature of responsibility and art and how we express that and how we explore that. It's just compelling and beautiful. Um, And every single poem, I feel like, you know, I can dine on each piece for days. (laughs) And I love work that does that, you know, work that just sort of sits in the body. And I really took my time with this book because it's quite a slim uh, book of poetry. So I took my time reading it and digesting it. and, And I love poetry books that do that, that you can sort of just take your time with and come back to you know again and again and she's an incredible incredible writer and again I love that she looks at the influence of different artists as well so not just talking about her own experience um, but the perspective of other artists whom she admires so yeah that's another book that I really enjoyed. Were you a fan of her poetry um, before you came across this book? No, this is the first book of hers that um, I'm reading. And um, it was actually recommended to me by um, by a, a, a lovely friend, Aki Schultz, uh, the director of the literary consultancy. She recommended this mm. book and said, I think you'll really, really like it. And she sent it to me as a as a gift. And it's so nice when people do that, when uh-huh. they send you books as gifts. You, you know, they feel extra special well, yes. as well. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And especially when you so, then love them as well. There's something, there's nothing exactly. like it, is there? It was just wonderful. And I messaged her saying, this is amazing. I'm so happy you sent it. So, yeah, props to Aki for sending it to me. Um, it's quite beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and what about, the, uh, what about the third book on your pile? 
So the third book is Pleasure Activism, um, The Politics of Feeling Good by Adrian Marie Brown. Um, and here she draws on black feminist traditions, just looking at how we approach activism and that activism doesn't mm. have to be a chore because it can feel like a big responsibility. And very often, um, you know, people in activist spaces, they don't really think about their own well-beings or look after themselves in that way. So what I love is that she is completely reframing all of that and saying this should be a pleasurable experience. Um, in fact, every aspect of your life, you should be trying to find joy. And she sort of, it's like a blueprint in how to do that, you know, through like conversations with other artists, poetry, um, you know, recommendations, talks. It's just a wonderful blueprint in terms of how you look at activism and ways we can reinvigorate ourselves within that space. So um, again, a unique book, you know, I often mm. think about the subject of activism as it's quite a heavy subject matter to me um, when I yeah. thought about it in the past. And people have often said to me, oh, I, you know, some of your I would consider you an activist because of some of the articles you've written in the past around, you know, race and equality. Um, and I never really considered myself that. So that was very interesting to me, you know, how people perceive you. Um, so right. this book really appealed to me just because I thought, well, this is fascinating. You know, how do we think about the spaces we incorporate? How do we get more joy out of that, those spaces? And how do we, um, you know, encourage people to feel liberated in terms of how they approach it? So, yeah, that's my third book on my shelf. That's a great pick. I, I, I must admit it's something I haven't read yet, but I, I really want to now. Do you think it's changed? I mean, do you think it will have a real impact in terms of how you approach the activism that you do going forward now? Yeah, I think so, because um, honestly, I thought, I mean, it's important work. But again, I saw it from quite a serious perspective. But reading her book, it really opened up my eyes in terms of, you know, you don't have to try to take the burden of that mm. on in the way that you thought was the right way. You know, there are different ways of seeing it and it can actually be an experience of joy um, if you claim that and take a different approach to it. So that's what I really took away from this book. Like, how do I make my activism more joyous and how do I bring people along with me? Because I'm I'm very community orientated. You know, I, mm. I work for a literary prize as well that champions the voices of marginalised women. Um, I've done lots of work behind the scenes, support other artists and other writers so I'm constantly surrounded by creative people um, and what happens is that you know people give so much in that culture you'll know this um, people are very generous and they often you know they they give so much and sometimes they don't think about themselves or you know ways to make the experience much more pleasurable or it, it might have been pleasurable in the beginning and then becomes a bit of a load so how do we how do we change that and you know reading Adrienne's book it gave me like lots of fodder for thought in terms of how I approach that. Mm. You haven't picked any novels and I was just wondering yeah. how much of your fiction is split between, do you try and steer away from novels when you're writing fiction? That's the question I wanted to ask. That's a really good question. And funny enough, no, normally I just read 
novels and short stories <laughs> and you know <laughs> I might read the occasional so this is really unusual and I was thinking about that this morning I thought god there are no novels in my pics what's going on but actually I think it's a good thing because I've been promising myself for ages to read more non-fiction stuff um at least right. and you know read more translated works too like those are two things I've said in Renison you've got to do that more so actually um it's nice to have this selection of of you know non-fiction books that that make you think critically about art as well so it's it's just coming at it from a different perspective and like I said I think it all feeds into each other anyway it all feeds into the same sort of ecosystem that helps inspire you as an artist in different ways so um, and each book is offering something different I think each pick that I've selected so hopefully. Oh yes, absolutely. The question of whether it's just fiction or non-fiction seems such a, a pointless one on many occasions. It just sort of struck me that as a fiction writer, um, I'm always interested in, in how people choose their books and what they what they decide to read at different points anyway. Um, for our next question, I have to say I love the article that you've chosen to tell us a little oh, bit about in terms of a, a, recent, a, a recent piece. It's such a wonderful piece. I mean, obviously I'm going to let you talk about it, but I think partly because at the moment there's a lot of heavy stuff in the news. There's a lot of you know mm. terrible things going on and we do need to be all aware of that but it's kind of rare to find a piece um which is so sort of uplifting and fascinating so can you tell us about this this uh this piece you want to uh, big up Yes, absolutely. So it's written by the wonderful Yvonne Singh, uh, who's a journalist and um, author. And it's basically about Gloria and Theo Ferguson, um, who set up this garden in Trinidad for um, hummingbirds, to attract hummingbirds. Just They've created this oasis, essentially. And I read the piece and it just, it was so moving. I read it on a day where I felt quite down and I found it quite mm. an enchanting piece, but also quite spiritual like it, it it took me to a different place when I was reading it and I I just I felt like I really needed it that day I found it yeah. enchanting moving illuminating but it also spoke to me um, in the sense that for a long time I've been feeling like I need to connect to nature more um, I need to especially right. living in the city um, where you know you really where I live in East London I, I mean it's not hugely green there are green spaces but it made me reflect on that and that desire to appreciate um, the natural elements in our world much more um, and that it's important that we have this connection with it that goes back centuries um, you know traditions uh, if you look at different cultures and it, it's fascinating so I just I just love the piece so much I must have I think I read it three times <laughs> that day um I found it really really magical and deeply deeply affecting yeah mm. I loved the uh, the very first image in it of that giant ancient silk cotton tree when it's described as sort mm. of like an enchanted species and a children's fable and as I was reading that I just thought god this could be the opening of one of your own stories as well it's got something there I can sort of understand why it spoke to you um in a particular way as well well, this is it. That image is stunning. And it felt like a story. So while it was a nonfiction yeah. piece, I think it also straddles like multiple genres in the way it's done. And, you know, Yvonne has done this so seamlessly, like it really has not put a foot wrong in, in, in this piece. Yeah. So it just it, what it did was it completely transported me um, to a different place, almost mm. to a meditative it space. You know, um, ah, and yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It felt like a, yes, it felt I, like 
something beyond the act of reading it's the only way like and that's such a powerful thing for a piece to be able to do where it's 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 not just reading it takes you somewhere else um it, it felt it felt really empowering as well because i thought this is wonderful because like you said we're seeing so many articles that are quite heavy and the world is in a bit of a crazy place so to have this bit of magic um given to us uh, I felt was really uplifting um and special for me mm-hmm. it's also got the most incredible beautiful photos of these hummingbirds which I was completely captivated mm-hmm. by I mean when you you know in the descriptions I think so many things and I didn't know about them you know the fact that that you know how quickly their heart beats how quickly their wind their wings you know beat every second I don't know I just thought there was a beautiful beautiful imagery there throughout so and that yeah, idea about the specificity. yeah and also that that wonderful idea about the sort of indigenous people of the islands having seen the hummingbirds as linking the spiritual and the earthly worlds mm. together is something that mm. I'd never heard about mm. before so yeah I think she captured all those bits and pieces so thank you for telling me about it actually it's been one of the loveliest things I've read in recent weeks for sure oh amazing yeah no she'll be delighted to hear that <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up in our questions, uh, Irenison, I've asked you to talk about a particular film, song or TV series that you've loved lately. And I think you've chosen a song for this one. And I think you might be the first person on the podcast to choose a song so far. So uh, this, is oh, a, this is a first for us. Yeah. So go for it. Tell us about uh, tell us about Brilliant. the track you want to talk about. Yeah, so the track I've selected is Bon Octor from Luz and the Yakuza. Uh, she is a Congolese Belgium based rapper um, and she mm. raps in French. Uh, and it was my brother that actually sent me the track and said, I think you're really going to like this. Uh, and I just, I just, I mean, I'm a big hip hop fan, but I love that she sort of embodies these cross cultural elements again. Um, and that really spoke to me. And I really, really like the track. And then I sort of, googled her uh, and she's a very striking looking artist um, mm. almost sort of futuristic looking so and again that element just spoke to the writer in me so the combination of the track what she looks like and kind of what she represents um, at this moment really really spoke to me like I'm somebody that seeks interesting artists particularly interesting female artists so I really like what she's doing and I find the track really catchy and can actually, I feel like it has a filmic quality. There's something about her sound, again, that seems to, I think, transcend different mediums. So that's what spoke to me. Like just these these sort of things that have lots of different elements to them, I find really fascinating uh, in terms mm. of like, what, how has the artist created this sound uh, and this whole aesthetic that, that really kind of speaks to you on multiple levels. So yeah, she really struck mm. me and I, and I really love the song. Yeah. I, I was reading a bit about her. Um, I hadn't come across her before I have to admit, but uh, I think she sounds like an incredibly creative person as well. And, and someone who moves across different um, mediums. I mean, I read somewhere that she was, she wrote a lot of, she wrote a lot of 300 page novels when she was younger in order to, to kind of sate her creativity, which left me equally sort of bemused and very impressed. <laughs> That is a funny and very impressive bit of information, isn't it? And it kind of doesn't surprise me. I didn't know that about her, but actually it's like, mm, that sort of craziness makes sense, actually. 
right. you know, thinking about. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? In a good way. In a good way. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, she she looks like the sort of artist that would have cut her teeth just just trying to try everything. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. well, I can write novels. Why not? Well, I'll just write several novels. Like, <laughs> yes. you know, um, um, while I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. <laughs> exactly. I think there's something so impressive about that. And, and she's clearly got a huge amount of creativity in her. I mean, when it comes to your, your own relationship with music more generally, do you ever write? Do you listen to music while you write? Or do you listen to music while you're cooking? Or is there a particular time, you know, that uh, you find yourself turning to it? Yeah, I love music. And it's, yeah, it, it can be such a great space as well. But I mean, I tend to not listen to music when I'm writing, because I really want to be able to hear the words. And I tend mm. to write um, quite early in the mornings deliberately. So I'm in that sort of half asleep, half awake state, which I think right. is really lends itself to my writing, the sort of surreal um fantastical writing that I do like I feel like that early morning space is perfect for that so I try not to listen to music then because it will be I'll just get distracted by the music (laughs) and I'll just get pulled in so um so I sort of make that distinction but I do listen to music like when I'm cooking or you know if I'm out and about in the city um I'll be listening to stuff and that's really cool to do I think to sort of move through the landscape and listening to listening to music but um, one of the things I do quite often is go on walks with my dog, a um, very precocious right. beagle that I have called Gogo, <laughs> and um, <laughs> and sometimes I'll listen listen to music um, on those walks as well. So it just depends, but generally the writing space, I kind of yeah, I want to keep that quite quiet so I can really like listen to my subconscious and you know the words in my brain. I know that makes perfect sense. I'm always completely flabbergasted by people who sort of can listen to music while they're reading or writing. I mean, it just, you know. Yeah. No, while while they're reading blows my mind. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just like, how can you, how can you listen to read while listening to music? It's just like, it's, I just, I would get so distracted. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly it. But some people seem to be able to kind of do both in a wonderful multitasking kind of way. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Next up in our in our uh, questions uh, is we've asked you to pick a photograph that you treasure. Um, obviously, you can't show it to our listeners, but could you describe it um, and tell me a little bit about what it means to you, please? Yeah, sure. So it's a photograph of my mother in her early 20s. She's it's in Lagos. She's in the driver's seat of a car. Um, Her hair's really nicely done and she's wearing like a beautiful green dress and she's looking at the camera very knowingly, which makes me think Mm. that whoever's taking the shot is somebody that's quite close to her. But what I love is how assured she seems in that photograph, how confident she looks, very quietly confident, um, like somebody stepping into her power almost. Um, And honestly, it's interesting because she feels like it's my mother, but not my mother. You know, that thing that happens when you look at old photographs of your parents and and it just gives you a different insight into like who they are. Um, I feel like that with this photo, but also I recognize an element of myself as well, because I look at her in that photo. I'm like, wow, that's, that's almost like me in my twenties. You know, it's that connection. Um, there's, there's a certain resemblance there as well. So it's kind of uncanny um, in that way. But yeah, I love the photo because 
yeah, I just love the confidence that she exudes. Uh, it makes me curious as to where she was going. I've never asked her, like, where were you on your way to? Perhaps that's something I should ask her. Um, you know, who were you going to see and what were you about to do? I think she was on her way to the cinema. I, okay. I think I remember her saying that, that she might have been on her way to the cinema um, uh, to pick up some friends uh, and just have a really nice evening. So this idea of her, yeah, just like being a young woman and living it up, living life, you know, hanging out with girlfriends, watching films um, is really cool. And I'm like, oh, I love to do that. So we have that in common when we're not driving each other crazy. Um, you know, so. <laughs> I think that's so you put your finger on something that's so, I think, so important. I think that these these images you get of your parents, you know, possibly before we were born or, you know, and you, you suddenly realise that they, I mean, obviously you know it, but you, it brings home the realisation they had full lives of their own that were not kind of dependent on them being your parent, right? Um, and right. then you see these connections between yourself and them. Um, I almost wonder if you sort of shouldn't ask what their, what she was doing or shouldn't confirm it because there's something about the mystery of the piece that's quite enticing in itself, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, it, you know, you because you go away and you create, you create ideas in your head about what the potential is for what does she do afterwards? Even if you know what she did in the moment, yeah. what does she do the rest of that evening? So I did, I've never really asked like lots of specifics about it because again, for that reason, it's, it's so beautiful when you hold it in that way, like the elements of mystery around it. Um, you know, what were you doing like earlier in the day? Who did you talk to? Who did you see? Um, you know, what was your mood like? Like I've never asked any of that because I'm just quite like, imagining it every now and again um and you know she looks really beautiful in the photo as well so I often tease her and say oh well it's a shame things went downhill but jokingly <laughs> like <laughs> no no she's a beautiful woman so if she, if she listens to this she'll kill me but um <laughs> no, <it's, laughs> you know it's just a precious it's a precious feeling I think that feeling of wow I'm getting to see you in a completely different way and that's that's a really lovely thing our shelves will be back in just a moment. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Our Shelves. I'm Lucy Scholes and I'm talking to Irenison Okoji. Uh, right. So next up, um, Irenison, uh, what's the book that you always recommend to friends? So the book um, is In the Ditch by Buchiye Machata, a British Nigerian writer. And I love this author because her work, I feel, was so like powerful and sort of very feminist um, in a way as well. In the Ditch yeah. is an autobiographical book, uh, you know, about a, a lone mother in North London sort of trying to carve her own path and taking on the British welfare system, basically just being completely irrepressible and really kick-ass. So it's a book that I felt spoke to me about the immigrant experience. Mm-hmm. And when I read this book, I immediately gave it to my mother because I felt that it really mirrored her experience of being in London with her kids and trying to make a way. Um, so it spoke to that particularly complex experience in a way that I hadn't really read before. And it How made, fascinating. Yeah. And also it made me have empathy for my mother. Because <laughs> I was so... <laughs> for the so first really, time. <laughs> for the first time. No, because I, I gave her such a hard time as a teenager. You know, that typical thing of like, oh God, you're just trying to make my life a nightmare and you're so annoying. Um, of course, I love my mother very much, but, yeah. you know, it, it, it was tricky. But when I read when I read In the Ditch, I, it just, it, it crystallised how hard it must have been for her. You know, so um, that that really meant a lot to me. And it's she's a fantastic writer as well, Buchiya Mekata, very much, I think, um, still unsung in mm. a way. So she's she's kind of a writer's writer. So, you know, writers love her work, but I don't think that sort of public really know about, um, you know, this really fascinating, amazing body of work. So she is an author that I always recommend. Her writing style is very different to mine. I think yes, I was going to say <laughs> it's an interesting pick for you to choose because her sort of her very realist documentary style is the exact opposite Absolutely. of what you do, obviously. Yeah, no, but the thing is, I read really widely, and I love yeah. all that stuff. I, you know, I think as a writer, you have to read all kinds of books and from all sorts of perspectives and styles. Um, you know, otherwise, how do you really grow um, um, as an author if you don't do that? So. Her work is incredible and it deserves that attention. So I always recommend her. And most of the time, people don't really know about her work, people who I recommended her to. So it's always yeah. a good one, I think. She's a strange one, isn't she? Because she was on that very famous, the, the particularly famous Granter Best of Young British Novelist list in 1983 yeah. with all the the kind of, you know, the white young men that we, we sort of still recognise today, the Julian Barnes and um, I suppose they weren't all white, Sam and Rushdie, like a lot of those. But she yeah. was one of the few women on the list. But you're right, she has sort of, she's not particularly well known outside of sort of writerly circles, which is a huge shame because those, but the, in the ditch and um, the book that, I think she wrote after it, but is the prequel to it that tells about when she first arrived in the UK. Um, those books are like, they're sort of, you know, up there with things like Nell Dunn's, uh, you know, um, Poor Cow and talking about the British working class in the 60s. Absolutely. And, you know, and it's a fascinating, fascinating topic. And she's sort of inter, yeah. 
um, I don't know, there's a sort of intersectionality there in her writing, the feminist aspect, the kind of, you know, being a black woman in London, um, yeah. the working class aspect that, that we just yeah. don't, all these things that are kind of very important today that we're starting to recognise are the kind of writing that we need to be reading. And yet people don't seem to be as aware of her as they, as they should be. Yeah, and if you enjoy people like Nell Dunn's work, you're absolutely going to like her work too. And I think yes. that's really interesting that you say that because a lot of the stuff, you know, we're still grappling with, a lot of the themes that she talks about in her book, you know, these are kind of ongoing things that um, women have to deal with, you know, uh, things around um, motherhood, desire, yeah. class, um, all of that is still really pertinent. It's fascinating about the Granta thing because I, I hear that and I'm just like, it's so annoying um, <laughs> once again. Uh, that you know these white men yeah they get all the attention nothing against white men but she obviously <laughs> you know I have a few white male friends so nothing against them but she obviously deserved to be right up there along with the likes of Julian Barnes but you know this speaks again I think to the invisibility that black women artists often face um, yeah, of course. unfortunately they just don't get the same level of support um, but what's amazing about, about Bookie is that she kept writing mm. you know um, she kept producing um, her, her art and that's hugely inspirational to people like me and hopefully you know other other women who discover her work wasn't there that amazing story about her husband burning her first manuscript yes, yes that's also incredible basically she got rid of the husband which was the right thing yeah. to do. I mean can you imagine I would be yeah, I would I would want to it would be murder I'm sorry <laughs> it would be murder at my hands no I know and he completely is, destroyed it and then she, she, had to, she rewrote it. it from scratch so this I mean the, what's amazing yeah this it, the you, the sort of strength of character to be able to say, I mean, I feel, I mean, I've never written a book, but I feel like if I wrote one, somebody then burnt it, I would give up on the whole enterprise, you know? Well, yeah, you'd have to claw me out of the fetal position, I think, that I would be in for possibly a month if that happened, because, you yeah. know, you really give so much to to a book. Um, I, when I think about the amount of craft that had gone into that, and then mm. it's just completely destroyed. But this is again, you know, this speaks again to who Bookie was, like the strength of character that she had to write again, you know, to not let that um, devastate her in the way that it could have. It could have been incredibly crippling. Um, it could have stopped her in her tracks, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm just like, every time I hear that story, I, I'm just so, she's such a badass. <laughs> can I just, I just ask one final question about her you say that you yeah. um you inter you sort of you gave the book to your mum after you'd read it because you thought yeah. it would chime with her experience did she have you talked to her about it since then did she say you know yes this is very familiar to me or did it sort of open her eyes as well well at the time yeah we spoke about it and my mother's also a big reader um right. so I would always um pass on books that I felt that we could both enjoy and we could have conversations around it because that's also a way of bonding, you know, in between yeah. falling out. And um, we would also <laughs> bond over books. <laughs> and um, we did speak about it and she loved it. She said, you know, this, I really recognize this experience, you know, and there were specific things she mentioned, you know, about, you know, when you first move here, trying to get help from the council, all of that, you know, really wow. fighting to get that support and um, feeling beaten down by it, you know, or, or, the, or when you actually have a bit of success, you know, how, how important that is, how uplifting that is, and trying to, you know, find people that you can have those um, commonalities with. Do you know what I mean? To sort of yeah. building a sense of community 
um, as well. So yeah, we really we really did connect on it, and we had um, we had really good conversations about it. So yeah, I'm really I'm really proud of myself. That sounds really like big headed, but I'm, I'm really proud of myself. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Renison, um, for like passing that book on to her, and she got so much out of it, you know. So that's why it's a really important book for me. No, I think that's a great one. And I think you should be proud of it. I think there's something about, you know, but, you know, there's a, there's a different, you know, we all read good books all the time and they mean something to us and we might recommend them to friends. But then there are certain books which really speak to personal experience and can, um, like you say, it's not as if you don't get on with your mother anyway, but there was a an added um, sort of connection there by being able to talk to her about it. And that's incredibly important about these things. So, you yeah, know, absolutely. I think that's a great recommendation. So if people haven't Thank read you. her, they should definitely go out and, and find her work. Um, yes. Next up, then I want to ask you about a book or books that have made you think about feminism in a new way right yeah this is a good one um I'm going to suggest I'm going to recommend Sarah Mangiso's 300 arguments okay Um, it's probably an unexpected choice but that's kind of in keeping with the sort of writer I am so let's go for it um I I love this I love this book you know it's a series of reformisms you know very very brief observations about life um desire art uh, love, loss. Uh, but what's great about it, I think, is that the honesty, the kind mm. of authenticity, the complexity of it, um, the messiness of it. Like, you know, Sarah is not somebody that's shy about her mistakes. And there's something <laughs> about that that really appeals to me uh, because I really like messy, complicated women. And I also think that there's there's a boldness about putting it out there in the world in that way. And the reason I find it kind of um, feminist and inspirational is also the fact that she is doing interesting things with form as well. In mm. the, so not only is she, I think, coming at you know, these sort of familiar topics um, from a slightly different angle, but she's also, I think, quite defiant in her use of form, in her use of like subverting form and kind of circumventing um, traditional narratives. Um, but it's also exhilarating. You know, I laugh. Um, I recognize certain things that she said. I chuckled quite a bit. There's a thread of sort of melancholy that runs through it as well that's really um, palpable. Um, mm. But it's an exhilarating read. Um, they're kind of like mini lessons, but without being preachy. Do you know what I mean? So yes. That's the, that's the kind of thing that I sort of took away from it is like, wow, she's been through all these painful experiences um, but she's still going Uh, and I read uh, a New Yorker interview with her where she says the purpose of being a serious writer is to keep people from despair (laughs) wow I love that quote it's like if people still choose life after reading my work then you know I'm all good with that (laughs) I think that that was that was what she meant so yeah for me I think it's I think it's a bold book um, in loads of different ways and that's why it's my choice in terms of kind of a kick-ass feminist um, sort of mini manifesto I guess. I'm beginning to see a bit of a theme here with these kick-ass feminist um, <laughs> women that you uh, you enjoy their their work clearly. Uh, that's a brilliant quote though from her the, the interview in the New Yorker to keep people from you know sort of the idea that you you read in order that you don't despair and I suppose that is what yeah. we all do particularly right now when things are a little bit bleak in the wider world a little bit bleak that seems a bit of an understatement but you know when things are quite bleak in the wider world do you ever think about that when you're writing your own work do you ever think about what you're trying to 
um, impart to the reader, maybe not in a very, you know, nitty gritty sense of what you want them to take mm. from a specific story, but, you know, more as a whole, what you want them to feel when they're, when they're reading the, your work? I guess I want them, because I'm largely writing about um, marginalised characters and, and characters on the fringes that I don't think often get enough visibility or are centred normally in narratives, I want them to have a sense of empathy for these experiences um, mm. and to kind of see them in a different way, to see them uh, as, as fully human with the sort of nuance that they, they deserve, because I think that that doesn't happen um, often enough. So that's really what I'm trying to do. If you're able to challenge yourself in that way and kind of put yourself in somebody's shoes uh, within a particular context, if you think, oh, I would never respond in that way, I would, I would never react. Uh, to a situation like that but the truth is you know you don't really know you don't know what you're fully capable of until you're in that situation so um, I think uh, in some ways that's what I'm trying to achieve but I'm also um, trying to challenge the reader in terms of not making it a passive reading experience you know uh, I'm trying to be provocative in terms of form and language and ideas so that you know they're really engaged in the process uh, and often they have to go away and think about the stories, even, you know, even after they finish reading it. So that's what I'm, you know, I try to do with my work. Mm. You don't make it easy for us, but you do make it very, very enjoyable to read and entertaining along the way, as well as being thoughtful. Well, hopefully it's rewarding <laughs> by the end of it. <laughs> you know, that's all a writer can hope for. <laughs> yeah, no, as a reader of your work, I can uh, guarantee that it, it, you've, you've achieved all you've, uh, all you've set out to do. So well done. Thank you. Thank right, you. and finally, our last question: um, Could you tell me about a woman whom you admire? Well, it's got to be Toni Morrison. Uh, <laughs> I love. <laughs> it's got to be Toni. I'm almost surprised she hasn't been picked every week, as it were. You know, she's just incredible. Um, so she has a quote um, that really inspired me, actually, um, in my writing, which is: "If there's a book you want to." read but it hasn't been written yet you must write it and every time I was scared to write or felt like maybe there wasn't a space for me um, in writing I would refer to that quote and it would give me courage um, it kept me excited about wanting to write um, I picked up my first Toni Morrison book um, as a teenager really uh, I picked it up I was in boarding school and I came back um, from holiday on holiday I went to the local library and I picked up a book called Jazz um, which is about uh, a salesman who has an affair with a young woman um, and then his wife kills that young woman but it's a, but it kind of um, encapsulates um, you know the black American experience in ways that are really rich um, nuanced and complex um, but what struck me about the novel as well is that it, it mimics a musical genre it actually was like jazz as well, the way it was written, um, which I thought was incredible. I was, you know, I was kind of blown away. I thought, how has she done this? She's a, this woman is a magician, you know, who does that? Who writes a novel that is actually like a musical genre? So, uh, and, I, and I also felt that, you know, what she did with language is really interesting. These kind of really like potent, striking images. Um, so I just fell in love with her work and, I went on to read Tar Baby and The Bluest Eye after that. Uh, and I, again, like what she does in terms of unapologetically writing about the black experience and centering them, centering their stories, um, you know, in, in the way that she does. I found it hugely inspiring. I didn't see myself reflected often 
in in books in the UK because there just weren't enough you know black writers being published really yeah. so um finding people like Toni Morrison um just gave me permission in a way um to to write and you know to feel like there was a place for me and I love the boldness of her writing as well I think she's an incredibly bold writer but not just the but not just a bold writer but you know she was a a real intellectual as well like just listening to her talk about the writing process um talk about what it meant to be a woman artist and a black woman artist was incredible um so she is the person that I would I would select um yeah as somebody that's just kind of up there in terms of you know the greats and who I look up to as as a writer well, I couldn't, you know, I think let's just end it there. You can't say anything more. You've said, you've said everything you need to say about Toni Morrison. I mean, I'm sure our listeners are well aware of her, but, you know, read those books if you haven't. That's a beautiful way of talking. Oh, please do. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Irenison. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's been a joy. Thank you for listening. Our Shelves is brought to you by the team at Virago Press. Special thanks to today's guest, Renison Okoji. Tune in next time for more conversation about books, feminism and culture.